0: Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen. Welcome to
2: this week's episode of the It's Utah's World podcast. I'm alongside Steve Bartle with you guys as always. Uh, Check Steve out on Twitter at sbartle247 or at yougzone.com. Myself at TomCantHackett or at kslsports.com uh the, the podcast is sponsored by Nate Wade Subaru of course still believe it or not I don't know why they've stuck with us for as long as they have it's <laughs> still there and uh they would still love to see you look the car industry is crazy at the minute but there are more and more people than I think most people realize getting into Subaru specifically Nate Wade Subarus so be be on uh, be on the lookout for them 2107 South Main Street check them out I mean I don't know I Look, I'm not much of a car dealership guy, but I've um, I've got a few friends kind of in the industry, and I've bounced around to quite a few. And Newegg Subaru is right up there when it comes to customer service, and and you don't get that kind of weird sleazy car salesman feel down there. They are very transparent. They'd love to see you and um, and help you out. You know, even if you don't buy a car, just answer some of your questions or whatnot. Tell them we sent you, and I don't know, maybe they'll. Give you a bag of popcorn, take home with you. I don't know. Anyway, uh, big, um, really big week. Really, really big week, I guess. Um, Utah's coming off a a, a pretty instrumental win. Um, And I know we talked about this prior to the game, Steve, and we can talk about it more now. You know, when the the tragic murder of, of Aaron Lowe occurred, the grieving process for yourself, Myself, the football team, everybody—kind of—that's got some affection towards the program—entered this weird grieving phase that was needed. And I made a comment, and I said, "You know what? I, I just—I don't know if the win-loss column in 2021s all that, all that all, is all that relevant." You know, I—I I, I don't know. I just—it's a sport, and there's so much passion behind it, and we always consider the win-loss column being you know, the be all and end all. And when, when Aaron Lowe was tragically murdered, I just said, well, it's not that important. You know, what's important is the brotherhood and the family atmosphere up on the hill and to make sure mentally those guys are okay. And, and, and I still feel that way. I want you to know, I, I I still, I still truly believe that it just doesn't matter what happens this season, but I will say this the the win against USC was 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 really fun to watch and if they had a loss they they you know who cares i i mean it's just again i don't think it matters but but if they win and if they can somehow find the strength to use the tragedy that was Aaron Lowe's passing into catapulting them into on the field success i mean all the more power to them um yeah and it started off well against USC, and let's dive into it, Steve. And then we'll get into ASU and all the other you know subjects that have been talking about talked about this week. But <clears throat> you were there. Uh, what was yeah. it like, man?
1: Man, it was. Uh, it was. Uh, what was it like, man? What was it like? That's a good question, Tom. I uh, remember getting there, so it was kind of a a wild day because I did the game day fly in, and I. We'll never do that again. Especially cutting it as close as I did. like. I didn't touch down in L.A. till probably like three, and then trying to get the rental and everything. So it was a it was a wild process to get to the stadium for me. So I didn't show up till like thirty minutes before kickoff, and so I'm scrambling. But, um, but you know, it was it was interesting. Uh, because of everything that was going on, we talked a lot about it on the show. Talked a lot it about. uh uh, talked a lot about it in other mediums um but just kind of the you know we didn't know what to expect from this team didn't know how they would respond didn't know how they would move forward through this and fortunately the bye week was there where you know these guys were given time to um you know just kind of hang out and and spend time with one another and become better teammates i think that was Something that uh, a number of players talked about um, as they came out of the bye week was just that opportunity to kind of you know spend time with your teammates and 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 learn more about you know the human being and that kind of stuff and the the tragedy that was the murder of Aaron Lowe really kind of emphasized that point of learning who your teammates are and, and who these guys are, your brothers, right. Uh, and, and becoming closer together. And it was interesting to hear that from the players prior to the game. And I think we saw the result of what that looked like on the field Saturday night. Uh, you know, being there in the stadium, in the press box, you get a pretty good idea of, you know, kind of the emotion of the team. Um, and, uh, and it was it was interesting watching the team as as the offense started to make plays the sideline was just it was it was full of energy it was you know there was a lot of celebrating a lot of hype a lot of yelling it was really cool to see that um, you know from the guys on the sideline to have them just to watch them having fun It was really cool to experience that especially with everything that they've been through um, you know it says a lot about their mental toughness uh says a lot about their ability to kind of uh to kind of process you know everything that they've been going through and and to you know focus on the task at hand you know these guys deserve just an incredible amount of credit for going out there not only like and like like you said wins and losses is all secondary now like it's awesome that they got the win but it was really cool just to see them out there and having fun and enjoying it. And, you know, and, and it's obviously a product of playing good football and uh, and it was really, really cool to see that.
2: Yeah. I mean, with that question, I think it's, it's, it's only fair to say that that they they've, they've galvanized uh, each other. They've, they've come closer, come together. Um, and that is uh, that is, that is hard. I, I have to imagine yeah. that, that that was not easy. Um, and, and everybody, you know, deserves some sort of recognition for it. Carl Whittingham, the head coach, the assistant coaches, the leadership council, the freshmen on the team. I mean, like, you know, from top to bottom, what they've been able to accomplish specifically on 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 Saturday late afternoon early evening against the USC Trojans um I I I don't know I just think I I just think I don't know how many college football programs out there could have accomplished what they did and could have come together and and bonded in the way that they they were able to and and use what was such a such a tragedy such such a self senseless act to to become stronger when when I think a lot of people myself included would would oh, yeah. probably crumble, you know, and yeah. falter, and um, and that that hasn't that hasn't been the case, and so, um, I just think it's a, truly a, a a pretty remarkable uh, accomplishment, and um, and I don't yeah. look, I I don't think it's that that big of a stretch, depending, I mean, depending on what the rest of the year holds, but you know, if 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 they really do go and win a lot of football games, uh, win the south. Win the Pack Twelve. I mean, like there needs to be an ESPN thirty for thirty on this. Uh, cool. I mean, like come Man. on, there, there needs to be yeah. something that is is documented and produced and turned into you know a broader you know, put onto a broader scale and 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 kind of yeah. because I I think there are just so many lessons, Steve, that we can all use from from what they've been able to accomplish and and look, I haven't been in inside the facility or been in those meetings, obviously, but. Yeah, I I just can't imagine how like hard it's been in so many in yeah. so many aspects, and um, they they well, Now, I guess with all of that being said and done, Steve, this 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 certainly wasn't the best USC version of itself. Um, <clears throat> but even if USC had a had played the best brand of football, they could have played. I, I I still think Utah probably gets the win, maybe not to the same extent or margin, but. What do you what do you make of that? I mean, what, what did you make yeah. of USC? Were they, you know, they 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 just didn't they didn't look great. I guess.
1: Sure, sure, and I think you know, obviously, there's a lot of context to consider with this Utah football team. There's also some context to to consider with with USC. Um, you know, they've fired their head coach, and we all we all have made a, a Clay Helton joke at some point over the last three or four years, right. You know, we've all made that, that kind of joke, but still that is a man in the leadership role that these players have grown to appreciate, have grown to rely on, you know, hearing his voice, understanding how he operates and, and growing in, in sort of a, um, a a rhythm, a process, you know, it's familiar and, and USC fired him. And so, you know, they're kind of, they're kind of, you know, a a program that's, you know, looking for answers and they've, I don't want to say they've, they've lost their way. They've got a ton of talent, like individuals on that USC team are still playing at a really high level. Obviously we all know Drake London, uh, Drake Jackson, was playing really good football uh, along the defensive line. Tuli Tuli uh, Polotu, uh, a defensive tackle, uh, had had been playing really good football coming into that game. Um, You know, you you look in the secondary, Isaiah Polamau uh, was another safety playing really good football. They've got a lot of individuals playing good football, uh, but in terms of the entire unit, the entire team, Playing good football, yeah, it was definitely missing. Uh, it was definitely um, just like like I said, like it's it was just a collection of individuals playing football rather than a team fighting, you know, for a win, which is what that Utah football team was. Um, you know, you saw it in every facet of the game. You know, you saw it in the effort from the tight ends blocking. You saw Bam Oleseni, uh have his best game of his career, uh, not only in pass protection, but in, in the run game, like he was getting after guys. Uh, the second effort, a lot of times, really went a long way. Cameron Rising has really done an incredible job of, um, you know, he's talked a lot about playing, fun, having fun and playing with swagger, and he's, he's brought that, and he's, he's not only brought it, but he's instilled it in the guys around him on that offensive side of the ball. Devon Valey, you know, is a guy that he's received a, a ton of praise during the offseason, you know, spring camp, fall camp. He's always a guy that these coaches have talked about. But for whatever reason, he's just – it hasn't translated to the field. And with Cam in there, you know, it, it, having a guy telling you that he believes in you to make those plays, um, that can go a long way for a guy like like Valey. And it did. Um, and so it, it, it was just – Really interesting to see kind of the contrast between the two programs with Utah and USC. You had a, a lot of talented individuals um, you know, playing football for USC where you had a, 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 a close-knit team that had really come together over the last two weeks coming into that game because of what had happened outside of the football field. Um, and you saw that team come together and play for one another. Uh, and I think that was kind of the the biggest difference. You know, talk a lot about production, but I think when you look at the culture of of the two programs, you look at the product on the field. I think that really kind of sums up USC and Utah and where they're at right now. And you know, for Utah fans, you you hope to see that team first. T- guys bought in, just all eighty five guys bought into that, and and to hope to see that continue moving forward because. Um, like we saw on Saturday, it was—it's a really good product on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Hey, hey just a quick
2: note for our um, for our listeners out there. I—I I don't think people realize this enough, uh, but maybe they do. I could be wrong. Um, and going back to kind of your comments about Clay Helton and the impact, kind of trickle down effect it can have on a football team. And obviously, I was fortunate—I ne- I never experienced right. um, a head coach at Utah. can has been there for a, an eternity. But speaking to people that have. You know, you you kind of start to have a better understanding of what what it, what it all entails. And basically, the short story is those assistant coaches joined USC because Clay Hilton was the head coach. Clay Helton, they were working for Clay Helton, Clay Hilton was their boss. Clay Hilton believed in them and wanted them a part of the team. And this is kind of how college football coaching staffs operate. You have your little circles and relationships i mean it's similar to kind of everyday life and business i guess in that sense but it's a little different it feels like in in, in college football and in the nfl just in the coaching circles you know if you have a you know for example like car winningham i remember has said you know on a few occasions not pub i don't know if this has been public or not but this is he either told me or i heard it somewhere but he's like you know i've, I've got a much much higher percentage of hiring somebody if I have a personal relationship with them if I know them if, or if somebody that that, that that I believe is incredibly credible you know um puts their name out there you know in, in, in an attempt for me to hire them then then I'm but but Carl Woody has probably not just going to hire anybody that he's never heard of or doesn't have you know a networking base with or, or can't speak to other people and so And so what happens when Clay Hilton got fired week two of the season is now all of these assistant coaches are starting to consider like their future. They they don't know what the future holds. There's uncertainty if they're going to stick around at USA. In fact, there's probably a good chance very few, if any of them do with, 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 with the new head coach uh, coming in, whatever that may be. And so that that can have a profound impact on the entire team. Because if your assistant coach, if your positional coaches who you spend hours with every single day doesn't have a a great understanding of what their future, what their future employment holds, you better believe the players pick up on that sort of stuff. And all of a sudden, the entire program – can go from having a leader to not having any leadership and having a ton of uncertainty and then the players are unsure as to what's going to unfold. I mean, it's just chaotic. And I have to, I have to imagine that 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 is what's going on at USC right now. I just, when you watch the football team, when you watch the sideline of the players, you just don't get a good sense that there's much trust between position coaches and players or players and assistant coaches or the executives and the athletic department. There's just not trust. And without trust, it's not possible. So um I you know it's it's interesting. And that and, and, and for the record, that is why most programs don't make a coaching change until after the season. Because during a season is, is is potentially catastrophic and it feels like that's what's going on at USC right now. So we wish them well, but we are fortunate to have beaten them. Um, a few notes to talk about there, Steve. Cam Rising, you mentioned, I thought was very good. I, I, I thought he 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 found a handful of receivers that made plays from Thria Howard to Devon Ballet to Britton Covey to Brant Keithy to Dalton Kincaid. I mean, the list goes on solomon Innes did not play he was banged up so he did not feature but but uh and we don't have a timeline on his return but it's not season ending so we should see him back but but speaking of the offense and this has been my whole i'm not just so everybody out there knows i'm not like an x's and o's guru okay i don't really like understand so like steve's that guy okay if you want to know actually go steve don't come to me <laughs> i'll talk to you about kind of you know, like the mentality of the group and how I can kind yeah. of see them play out and and you know, all of that good stuff. But Steve's X is a But I'll tell you what I do believe in, Steve. And I've said this on this podcast. I said, I say when I talk to people about football and offensive sets, I say, look, here's the deal, and here's my theory. And I was fortunate I spent a lot of time with quarterbacks that have played at the college level and I've spoken to enough coaches and people that that I feel pretty strong about this. It doesn't matter who you have at quarterback. It doesn't matter who you have on the outside. It doesn't matter who you have at tight end or even in the backfield. You can have, you know, the, the best of the best. If you cannot find five players to run protect or pass protect, I just don't care because it's not it, – it, it the likelihood of you – uh, playing half decent on the offense is, is 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 so slim. But what happened against USC, Steve, was the front five started to gel, and lo and behold, Gap started opening up for the running backs, and, and Cam Rising had more time to throw the football and go through his progressions. And believe it or not, Utah actually looked like they had a half decent offense for probably the first time. This oh. And it just yes. so happens that the offensive line actually gelled for the first time this season. So... For, for Utah to have success this year, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the offensive front five is paramount. Woo-hoo-hoo.
1: Yes, Tom. i have the the people listening to this couldn't see me, you know, but I was fist pumping the whole time you were going <laughs> on just now. I was going crazy um, because yes, uh, if we've seen it in five games when the Utah offensive line it's not doing their job is not protecting. It's not, you know, they're playing poorly. We've seen how bad it can get, right? You, you drop a game to BYU, you drop a game to San Diego state. Um, and the offensive line, you know, looked pretty awful in those two matchups. And then, you know, you, you contrast that with how they looked against Washington state and how they looked against USC. And like I said earlier, USC, while it's not the USC defensive line that we've, you know, we talked about this last week, you know, they don't have the Mario Williams. They don't have the, you know, the big, gigantic athletes that they used to have. They've still got some really talented dudes. Tuli Tuli Polotu. I always struggle with his name. Drake Jackson. They've got another five-star on the other side, Corey Foreman. Um, He was like the number one rated prospect in last year's class like they've got just talent across the board and the 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 big difference in that game was the play of the Utah offensive line um they were you know it, it was it was a grind in in the run game but you stick with it and hey Tavion Thomas breaks through for a 43-yard run because you stay committed to it and then a eventually you get into the late game situations where you've just kind of worn this defense down and you know those one and two yard runs turn into two three four yard runs and that's that's a big deal um, but man, it, it's been wild to to watch this offensive line and, and Braden Daniels for me with t- I, I think I mentioned bam earlier in the show but Braden Daniels moving out to right tackle has really been um, I don't want to say the answer to the offensive line's problems, but it's certainly been a a big part of the solution. Uh, he's been reliable, he's been um, sh- he's been stout, um, you know, in the run game, he's been effective, and it's allowed the rest of the line to kind of settle in. Keaton Bills has been good coming off the bench and and you know playing well at left guard. But, man, Bam, Bam Adele Olaseni had, like I said earlier, had his best game of his career uh, Saturday night. Man, it, you go back and you watch the game and he just, he popped, man. He was getting out to the second level, getting his hands on guys. Uh, he eliminated Drake Jackson completely. It was It was really fun to watch that. And, you know, the offensive line deserves a lot of credit because, like you said, you know, it allowed Cameron Rising to operate and create these big plays. It allowed Tavion Thomas to break through for a big run. All of that is is a product of improved offensive line play.
2: Yeah, and it was it was re- it was really nice to see uh, because yeah. you know what we what we saw against San Diego State or BYU, you know, was. Uh, Pretty disheartening, I think it's fair to say. And and look to further exaggerate the point. uh, Just you know, if you haven't paid much attention to the NFL draft, pay attention to to kind of next year's draft. And 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 look at how many offensive linemen go in the first round. You know, there's a reason behind that. And I know quarterbacks are going to headline the show, and 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 for good reason. You know, that they're they're the sales tickets and all that. But I tell you, there's a ton of offensive linemen that go in that first round uh, for good reason uh, because NFL GMs believe in 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 a somewhat similar train of thought i i have to assume and, and that is you know in order to to be productive offensively you, you have to be able to produce up front and if you can't you know it's the like i mean megatron it's what made megatron so impressive on, on the outside for me anyway megatron literally was thrown footballs the in triple coverage and would come down with it you know but like there, there aren't many receivers that do that like In fact, there are very few, like if any, he's like one, Josh Gordon can kind of be that, you know, when he's, when he's healthy and active, but there just aren't that many Utah. I don't think right now has a receiver that you can just consistently throw the ball to regardless of the coverage that surrounds him and expect him to come down with it. So for Utah, the offensive line is going to play a pivotal role going forward. And it starts this week, Steve. Wow. Uh, So it's uh, it's a, it's a, it's an improved defensive line for Arizona State. I do want to just touch on quickly because I was looking at this earlier. I, I was pulling up the some some of the NCAA stat statistical leaders, and I wasn't necessarily looking at, at specific players. I was looking at teams, and believe it or not, Arizona State lead the country in two categories: um, turnover margin. And then, by the way, they lead the turnover margin by a significant amount. They they average two more, two more turnovers than any other team. By the way, this is going in favor of them, of course. So they're yeah. averaging two turnovers more than their opposition a game. The next best is Ohio in the MAC, and they're at 1.33. So there's quite a significant gap there. They're very, very good uh, defensively at, at regaining the football for their offense. And then they're also prolific, Steve, in kickoff returns. They um, they, they have the, the best kickoff return average in all of college football right now at 33.67. So uh, I'm not necessarily all that worried about the kickoff return because Jordan Noyes has taken over the kicking duties. That's also, I guess, a talking point that maybe maybe we'll touch on. Uh, that Not much needs to be said there besides the fact that Jordan Noyes beat out Jaden Redding. Last year's first team All Pac 12 member. And I just so happen to say that I thought Jordan Noyers was the better kicker, and lo and behold, he's turned out to be. We'll see if that continues. Uh, but he's, he's done a good job at kicking the ball out of the end zone. But, Steve, yes, two, they lead, Arizona State leads the country in two categories. Utah is not featured in the top five in any national statistical category. So, this is a very good Arizona State team. They're five and one, they're three and oh in conference play. And, and let's start with that defensive front uh, for Arizona State. They are, uh, in my opinion anyway, much better than what uh, USC was and is. Uh, and, and it's going to be uh, quite the test for Utah's starting five offensive linemen, don't you think?
1: No, absolutely. And, and especially in pass protection as ASU, I think, is top 10 in sacks so far this season. Uh, they've got 21, uh, through six games. So they're averaging about three and a half sacks a game. So pass protection is going to be a big deal, um, on Saturday. And it starts with, you know, the, 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 the defensive front four, um, you know, ASU is they're a four, three, four, two, five defense. They do have three linebackers that they like to utilize, um, quite a bit that they like to, to play together quite a bit. Um. And so they rely on that front four to generate a lot of pressure. And they've 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 honestly they've answered the bell. Anthony Cooper uh, leads the way with three and a half sacks. B.J. Green, another defensive lineman, has three. Tyler Johnson has three. Um, all three of those guys, I believe, are defensive ends. And then Omar Norman Lott is a defensive tackle uh, that has two sacks. Um, so that's. It's going to be. These guys are going to come after. You know this. This Utah offensive line. They're going to get after it. Uh, they're going to test this group in um, in pass protection. Uh, and like I said, it's it's a much improved defensive front. This is the biggest defensive line that Utah has faced this season. I um, mean, you look at it. They've got their two defensive tackles or three fifteen. They're listed. Right. Like Lucky Fotu was listed at 320, but like there's no way he was he was anything less than than 335. Like John pennesini was listed at 315 and and I'm pretty sure he was close to like 350. And so, you know, you've got these these defensive tackles at ASU. One's listed at 315. Another is 325. Um, they're big, big guys. And then their defensive ends, both of them um, are, are 270, 280 type of guys. So it's a big uh, defensive line. Uh, but these guys are still athletic. These guys are, are well coached. Um, and so they're, they're going to test this Utah offensive line. And they've also been very good against the run. Um, I think they lead the conference in defensive rushing, um, in terms of yards, yards allowed. So this is, you know, and that's kind of a, a benefit of playing a four three is you've got seven guys right there in the box to kind of clog things up and, um, and really kind of limit, um, you know, the, the run game there. Th- so ASU is actually third in the conference uh, in terms of rushing yards allowed per game at one seventeen. 17. Um, so it's, it's going to be a grind. It's going to be a test uh, Utah offensive lines, in the past have actually really done well against these bigger defensive fronts. They've, they've struggled quite a bit against the athletic, you know, penetrating defensive lines. Uh, But this is, this is arguably going to be the toughest test that Utah offensive line is going to face this season, maybe all of last season, and, and maybe even the, the, the year before that outside of Texas and Oregon, Um, you know these guys are big they're athletic and and they're well coached so it's going to be a test
2: yeah so Utah's what through five games their 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 overall records three and two and we still don't have kind of a a legitimate answer I should legitimate's the wrong word I'm sorry but we we don't we don't have an answer as to who the the lead tailback is who the lead running back is for Utah and I know a lot of fans out there are, are probably maybe disheartened by that maybe they're somewhat concerned that that utah doesn't have kind of that 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 stalwart uh, stalwart back that they've had in the past but but to be perfectly honest steve i i i'm not necessarily all that concerned when it comes to who's going to run the football for utah i i actually think um you know if, if we were to try and put a positive spin on this it actually kind of favors utah in some regard because you know it's incredibly difficult for the likes of Arizona State to scout for. You, you've got to yeah. you've got to scout all of them um, from, and they're all pretty unique and different, right? Tavion Thomas, more of a a bigger back who, who who can kind of break through internally through the A and B gaps. Micah Bernard has shown that he's he's got the ability to to, to go outside the tackles if need be. Uh, and then and then TJ Pledger is probably you know somewhere in and amongst all of that they they all have pretty unique skill sets and um and so it's going to be difficult I think anyway for Arizona State to to game plan for that and I guess what Utah's done over the last five games this season is they've kind of given all of these guys a decent amount of rep Chris Curry's not seen a ton of action but the other three are and. Uh, depending on the on the day and the night you know generally one back's gonna come out on top and kind of separate himself and get a few more carries but you know the the get the week after that may not be the case or at least it hasn't been this year so so hopefully that that trend continues and and Utah on the night can 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 figure out who's kind of the lead rusher do, do you have any idea i mean it's probably an impossible question to answer as to who you best predict to to kind of receive the most carries against Arizona State, is there one particular tailback for Utah that you think will have more success than maybe somebody else?
1: No, I I think you know it's I think it's pretty clear that they want Tavian Thomas to kind of be the guy, you know, to kind of be the workhorse. But I think, man, it's been it's been kind of interesting to watch um, these running backs and you know, kind of their performance, what they bring to the field, and everything. Um, you know, it's, it's, well, you know, you look across the field on Saturday night and Arizona state is kind of in a very similar situation. They've got three running backs. Um, all three of whom are, are playing really good football. You've got, uh, Rashad white who leads the sun devils in rushing yards. He also leads the team in receptions, very good overall back. You've got Daniel Nata who was, uh, a a. uh, top priority recruit for Utah um, last season. Uh, And then you've got um, Chip Trainum, who's, you know, he's a big back and athletic back. And so they do a good job of getting everybody involved, getting guys touches. And, and the big, the reason they're able to do that is because they all produce. And so, you know, as long as Utah, as long as you get production, like who cares where it comes from, right? Like, Uh, I hope that we're able to continue to see, you know, Thomas Bernard and Pledger all contribute um, to, to the effort, you know, on on the offensive side of the ball Uh, because they all, like you said, Tom, they all bring something unique. They all bring something that Arizona state and future opponents have to prepare for. Like, yeah, they, they, they'll have an idea of what's coming, but you still, you've got to defend it. And so like, that's, you know, that's kind of the thing here is you've got three good backs that um, even despite, you know, the scouting report, they're still able to go out and 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 make plays. So it was good to see Thomas have the game that he did uh, and take care of the ball. It was a lot of fun to watch him, you know, hang on to the ball um, even after he was tackled. Like he held that thing to his chest as tight as he could. He wasn't messing around like he was. He was clearly focused on on taking care of the ball quite a bit, and so that was really good to see. So, in terms of like what we see Saturday night, yeah, like I think we'll still see you know all three guys get work, uh, but I think it's pretty clear that they think Thomas is a special talent, which is why they've continued to try and get him as much work as they have. Um, and and he showed us why Saturday night. Um, it's
2: it's gonna be it's gonna be a fascinating game. Um. And I guess this is this is kind of the start of, of where I look at it anyway. Is Utah's offense against Arizona State's defense? We've talked about you know their their their, their ability to stop the run uh, with with the guys up front, but but they're also pretty decent. Steve at, at, at stopping the pass, they're ranked twentieth in um in the country when it comes to allowing passing yards um, for whatever it's worth. They've they've only allowed one thousand and eighty eight passing yards this season. So their secondary is pretty stout as well. It'd be, and I guess I'm fascinated to see how Utah plans on attacking the Arizona state defense. Do they try and bully them up front and, and, and get some early first downs on the ground or are they going to come out swinging and, uh, and look to soften up the secondary by by throwing some deep balls and, and stretching that, um, that Arizona state defense. I, I don't know the answer. I assume you, don't have a great idea either. If you do, please please feel free to share it. But uh, on the flip side, of that something we we haven't yet touched on is Utah's defense up against Arizona State's offense, and uh, and of course the, the 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 formidable you know offense that is uh, headlined by uh, by of course Jaden Daniels, the quarterback. Uh, they've got a pretty good tailback in in Rashad White. Who's emerged really ever since Pac-12 play? In my opinion, he has a, he has 421 yards on the, season, on the season, but you know he's coming off uh, like last week. <clears throat> pardon me, for example, he had just shy of 100 yards against Stanford, who's you know generally speaking, historically pretty good against the run. Um, and and Curtis Hodges, the tight end, leads leads them in passing uh, yards in, with 256. So so what, what, you know, how do you stop Jaden Daniels? I think would be the first question, and then. You know, what what are the other playmakers on on Arizona State's offense that that you think could pose some serious concerns, Steve?
1: And for me, as as much as this is about, you know, making things difficult for J.D. Daniels, and it is, um, for me, the top priority is to to limit the run game as much as I can. Um, You know, the run game has really kind of been ASU's bread and butter this year. They've really turned into a heavy run team. And part of that, too, is... Jaden Daniels usage of his legs right. um you know on called pass plays I think he's got like something like 29 scrambles um you know which obviously are are called as pass plays but they are counted as uh as as run plays which is why ASU I think I did the number I did the math and they've got something like a 63 to 37 run pass ratio um so over 60% of their their plays so far this season have uh, have been run plays. And, and again, that's a product of Jane Daniels using his legs on, on run plays, but still even without those, those scrambles, um, you know, ASU is still like a 57 to to 43 run run pass ratio offense. So it's all about the run game. And like I said earlier, they've got three running backs Rashad white, as you mentioned, uh, leads the team with over 400 rushing yards. Um, Daniel Nata and Chip Trenum, uh bring something unique to to the field as well. They're going to run and they're going to run a lot. And so, uh, if you can do anything, I would say make the run game difficult, make them work for their yards uh, in the run game. And then, yeah, like with Jaden Daniels, um, you know, I think we all remember the 2019 game where Utah just made life hell for Daniels. Um, I'm not sure that we'll see. Um, you know, that same Jade Daniels, right. That was a true freshman in a, in hostile environment against a very experienced defense. Um, you know, maybe we do, uh, but obviously the, the book on him is, is, is to get pressure on him. But even then, like I said, he's scrambled 29 times. He's, he's learned how to utilize his legs to his advantage. Um, and so it's, it's, you're going to have to play a disciplined, um, defense. Uh, you're going to have to, you know, protect yourself against that. You're going to have to be uh, weary of Jaden Daniels' um, threat to run on each and every pass play. So it's it's it, this is a tough test. You know, as difficult as this is for the Utah offense, I honestly think the Utah defense has a tougher test this week uh, because of that X factor and dual threat ability of Jaden Daniels. It's just so hard to stop sometimes. Um, you can play perfect defense, and Daniels can still pick up a first down with his legs. Um, and so it's just it's just tough. So uh, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. The game plan. I don't think you're going to see um, you know as uh, as aggressive of an approach as we saw in 2019. I still think that we'll see some some blitzes and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that. The top priority in my mind, at least, is to limit this run game, this ASU run game.
2: Yeah. Oh well. Look, Rashad White, the the lead running back, that has just over four hundred yards. He, he's got nine touchdowns, nine rushing yeah. touchdowns. Yeah. Um, and and for what it's worth, Jaden Daniels has three rushing touch, touchdowns. He's he's also got four touchdowns throwing the football. Combined uh, touchdown ratio, seven total touchdowns next to his name but you know three of them have come on the ground the one thing i will say steve and this is kind of what i'm i'm pre- predicting and expecting is and this isn't unusual for utah football but i i think they're going to mix up a ton of looks defensively to try and confuse daniels and they do that you know against against you know every quarterback they face but i think this week more so, maybe more importantly is, is only because daniels and this is the kind of been the knock on him and he's a talented quarterback by all means i mean he's very very prolific uh, and, and 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 explosive, and, and can can beat teams single handedly, you know, uh, on any given night. But he's a good passer. He's not a, he's not a great passer yet. If he wants to, you know, potentially transform into a a, a, a NFL caliber prospect, you know, and a, and even now he still technically probably is on the radars of of some NFL teams. But he's yet to throw. He's he's yet to showcase his ability to beat teams through the air. He's got three interceptions on the year. He scored four touchdowns throwing the football, but he also has three interceptions. And I do think if Utah can kind of look up, uh, can kind of change up their look and, and try and figure out you know, some disguises and, and confuse Daniels. I, I Look, I do believe this is a, a Utah secondary that could potentially pick Daniels off on, on a handful of occasions. And if they can do that, then you better believe they're going to be right in this ball game. Uh, I don't want to say it. I really don't want to say this, Steve, but Cameron Rising does not have an interception yet. And I, I apologize if, if he throws his first pick this week because you can blame me. But, like, the, the turnover margin, you know, as we all know, plays such a big role in, in determining the outcome of these games. And if you can win the, the turnover margin, then, yeah, I, I look, I think – I think this is a game that Utah can win. You and I, Steve, at the start of the season, came to an agreement on this show, and we circled two games. And we circled this last week's game at USC, which we, we thought at the time was going to be difficult. We didn't know Clay Helton wasn't going to be there, and the entire USC Trojan football program was essentially going to blow up. But still, it was the first win that they, they've they had in the Coliseum for over 100 years. It was obviously their first win in Pac-12 play at the Coliseum. It was a pretty... Big game and uh, and they came out uh, on top, but of course Arizona State, you know, was 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 one of the favourites to win the Pac-12 South and they still are. They're undefeated in Pac-12 play. They're three and zero. They been Colorado, UCLA at the Rose Bowl, and of course Stanford a week ago. And so they're, outside of Colorado, you have to assume Stanford and and, and UCLA are uh, two of the top programs in. In all of the Pac-12, and they're two zero against them. So this is a this is a really really big test, and I think I think if Utah can get over the line, they're certainly in the driver's seat to win the Pac-12 South. Um, although there are tests that still remain, I think UCLA's a pr- pretty formidable football program at the minute. Uh, they've got you know really uncomfortable matchups against the likes of Oregon State up in the north and. And a few others, but but needless to say, we'll start with this week uh, against Arizona State, and um, it'll be fascinating to see how it all unfolds. Because I, I do personally believe think that this matchup is um, is pretty close, uh, and 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 the two teams are, uh, are pretty similar in, in different ways, but they can be they can be pretty explosive and um, and dangerous uh, depending on the night. I think last time I looked was uh, Vegas had this at a pick'em. So I think you know look, yeah. the money's kind of coming into both teams. Nobody's really all that sure, Vegas included, as to what's going to unfold this upcoming weekend when the two teams meet. Which, um, which, which would suggest that yeah, it's, it's going to be close, in the turnover margin, you know, may may determine the outcome. So, um, so I can't wait. Uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a fascinating game. Uh, it'll be what time's the game, Steve? I have Eight
1: o'clock. Eight o'clock. Eight o'clock. ESPN.
2: There you go. So you'll have uh, fully pixelated uh, cameras for everybody at oh, home geez. to enjoy. Uh, no 1280. No, uh, no, 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 you know, high def quality. It'll be all pixelated. Like we're back into the year 2000, but that's okay. It'll be football. Nonetheless, eight o'clock uh, Saturday evening, October 16th is the official date. Tricycle stadium is the location Steve, you're wonderful. We appreciate you greatly. Um, to everybody out there, please, please, please do yourself a favour. Go follow him on Twitter at SBuddle247. And if you don't do that, bloody hell, you better make sure you go to uzone.com because that is the destination for all things Utah football and Utah basketball, I should have. And you can communicate with Steve himself and try and get some insight into what's all happening up there on the hill. Castle Sports is where you can find most of my work, at Tom on Twitter, and of course, we appreciate Nate Wade Subaru for their generosity in sponsoring this podcast. Steve, my man, have fun if I don't speak to you. Appreciate uh, you, Tom. On the Hill Saturday and um, and enjoy. It'll be fun. See you guys. <music>